I'm a child of the King. By the grace and mercy of God, we can claim God as our Heavenly Father. Now, would you please take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians as we look at the last part of chapter 2 in 2 Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul has written another letter, besides the first one, to the church of Thessalonica, entitled the message, Standing Fast in Christ, and we'll be discussing that particular theme as we think about what our wonderful God has done for us, is doing for us, what he will do for us. So in contrast to the fate of those who have rejected Jesus Christ, rejected the truth, that is found in the early part of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now in stark contrast, we're going to see the wonderful, wonderful blessing and hope that believers have in Christ. And what should motivate, what motivates them to moving forward with an attitude of gratefulness and a commitment to steadfastness. So let me read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, and then I'll have a word of prayer. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit, and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious eternal word that can transform our lives. We think about the verse, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Your word, Lord, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. May your word truly penetrate our hearts by means of your Holy Spirit, and may we respond the way you want us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you found yourself in need of encouragement at any time in your life? You say, well, I could use a little bit of encouragement today. All of us, at one time or other, need to be encouraged. Indeed, the Thessalonian believers needed encouragement. Uh, these believers had certainly started out right. They were on the right path, and without any question or doubt, had remarkable spiritual qualities, even though some things were troubling them. Now, we talked about some of that in the past, 
but one of the things that was troubling them was some false teaching about the Lord's coming, and it caused, at least among some of the believers, some measure of alarm, enough so that the Apostle Paul tries to assure them they're not going to have to go through this great tribulation period. Uh, they're going to be delivered from it. Uh, and he tries to get them settled in this uh, face of some of this false teaching. In addition to this, and certainly not to diminish the significance of the circumstances they were going through, they were experiencing an intense time of persecution. And if I understand a little bit about history, it didn't really get any better. It started out with persecution from the Judaizers, these Jewish religious leaders who stirred up things, and the Apostle Paul and his co-workers had to leave very, leave very suddenly. Uh, the Judaizers kept working, causing some disturbances. Possibly they were the ones who were instruments of giving the false teaching. Then there was more persecution came from the secular environment. So they needed encouragement. Now you may not be under severe persecution like some believers are today, especially in other countries, but you nevertheless, I'm convinced, need to be encouraged from time to time as we look at God's word. Well, the Apostle Paul assures these believers that they are a special part of God's plan. Indeed, he wants them to be filled with courage. Verse 17 says, comfort your hearts. Oh, excuse me, verse 16. Uh, he's, he's speaking of that kind of prayer there. God, Father, which has loved us, given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts, establish you in every good word and work. He wants these believers to be filled with courage, not be discouraged, but be filled with courage. And when we think about this, and we're, we're going to be focusing our attention upon how we can be encouraged by knowing we are part of God's eternal plans. Now, before I get into the heart of the message, uh, you probably have had, I'm assuming sometime or other, you've been in a situation where you thought you were invited and you got left out. And you kind of felt bad about it. You tried not to get offended about it. You kind of felt bad about it. I can recall a number of situations where it wasn't like I was left out, but I did get involved in a church setting where there was a shower for one of the ladies in the church. And there were two ladies who were supposed to invite the other ladies, give them a personal invitation, call them, write them, give invitation to the ladies to come to this particular shower. Now, they were one person was supposed to take, let's say, for instance, the people's names that started A through M, and the other one starting with N through the end of the alphabet. Well, what happened was this, unintentionally, but nevertheless, it wasn't really good. The one lady remembered to call and contact the first half of the alphabet, inviting the ladies of the church to come to the shower. The other lady who was assigned to this task of inviting the other ones totally forgot. 
Now, I can almost feel you kind of shaking inside, thinking about that. If you were in that responsible position, and you forgot to invite the other ladies, it could have some rather unusual, unpleasant repercussions. And so what happened was, the ladies came and it wasn't a very large group. They couldn't understand what happened to the other ladies. Why weren't they invited? There were ladies who were offended about it because these other ladies were not invited and so on. I'm just gonna give just a little piece of advice. If this is ever your assignment to make sure you invite people, mark it down on your calendar, put it on the refrigerator, do not forget to invite those people, all right? You know what I'm talking about. So some of the ladies were left out. I just used that experience that we had a number of years ago, worked our way through this, um, to just highlight the fact that there are some situations where people are left out. But when you look at God's word and relationship to God's plans, and you're one of God's children, you don't have to think that God is going to forget about you. Aren't you glad to know that you're not going to be left out? You are included. He included me. We sing that hymn. We didn't sing it today. We sing this. All right. So you can be encouraged by knowing that you're part of God's eternal plans. Now, there are two motivations that spring from this assurance that we're going to highlight. First of all, the first motivation is being part of God's planning is a motivation for gratitude. Uh, not totally sure who said this, but one said this. When gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. Well, gratitude should be part of the believer's experience. And the Apostle Paul says this, we are bound to give thanks always to God for you. So in light of the fact that Paul is thinking about what God has done for them, he says, we have to. We have to give thanks to God for what God is doing in your life. Now, there's a little phrase that's used here, but we don't want to pass this up. One of the reasons why he's so thankful is because they've been recipients of the love of God. The one who's saved is a direct recipient of the love of God. Brethren, beloved of the Lord. And as the Apostle Paul is reflecting about the experience of these believers and being filled with gratitude about them, he can't help but think about how these people have been receivers of God's wonderful love. Long before you or I realized God's love, he demonstrated his love for us. First Thessalonians chapter 4 speaks about this kind of love, and there's certainly many, many passages, but in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So long before you or I realized that God's love was demonstrated for us, and this was true of the Thessalonians, I guess we could bring in the thought or the analogy of a parent with a child. I'm going to assume that some parents have said this to their child somewhere along the way. If they believed in 
a life conception, they may have said this, just know this, I know you have some questions, mom and dad loved you even before you were born. Now, maybe you haven't said that, you probably have thought that, you believe in life obviously before birth, but you probably have said this as well along the way, or you thought this, if not communicated verbally with them. You said, mom and dad have loved you even before you knew that we loved you. And parents will, for long periods of time, know they have an intense love for their child when they're an infant. The infant doesn't really understand a whole lot more. And they'll say this to try to reinforce it. And I guess the right kind of brainwashing will say, I love you. I love you, dear. I love you. And you're hoping that maybe that will get implanted in that small child so that later on they will never forget you love them. Now, say that kind of tongue-in-cheek in a certain respect, but we know parents love their children oftentimes way before they're even born. Or while they are just in very formative years, and likewise, in a certain sense, we as believers, we can understand that God has a love for us, even though we may have not realized it. And then it's salvation, God's love, is directly extended to us. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And we get saved, we come to Christ as our Savior, the love of God comes into our hearts and we start to realize, wow, God forgave me. He's so much a loving God. So we're beloved of God. And then throughout our entire life, God's love continues toward us. In John chapter 15, we have this among many passages of Scripture. He says this, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you and abide in my love. So, the Apostle Paul says, I've got to thank God for you. Beloved, you are recipients of the very love of God. But I want you to notice also, the one who is saved is part of a wonderful plan chosen by God. Now, I, I will be very frank with you. I don't understand how that all works. Uh, you may be smarter than I do, but I can't figure out all this work other than the fact that God has set an eternal plan in motion. And that eternal plan of motion is a wonderful, glorious salvation. This plan is effected through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not just by human flesh or human will, the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of individuals. And Jesus said this in John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit is sent to the world to convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And when a person responds to the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the word of God and belief, they receive a glorious salvation. Certainly worthwhile thanking God for this plan is con confirmed through belief of the truth. So not just believing in the past or believing in the church, believing the Baptist distinctives, uh, or believing in a certain version of the Bible. That's not it. But it's the belief of the truth of God's eternal word. So it's confirmed through that truth. God does not force a person to be saved. God does not 
push a person into salvation, a person, every individual has to make that choice. I'll just make a brief comment here. There's a man who is now with the Lord, an author and speaker. His name was Dave Hunt. And he grappled with this concept of extremism and Calvinism, which pushed the envelope to the point where it's almost human responsibility was not there. And uh, he explained, I thought, very articulately in his book called What Love Is This? How could it really be love if God was the one who did all this and man didn't really have a part in this? We are not going to go down the alley of saying God didn't do anything and only man's responsibility. There are two sides of the coin. God had a design for the plan from eternity past. He knew there would be people who would believe in him, but he didn't force them to make the decision. Individuals had to make the choice in order to be part of this plan. As the Apostle Paul is reflecting upon these Thessalonians, he was assured that they had believed the truth. This plan would culminate in the future glory with Christ. So it wasn't just temporary. It wasn't something if they just stayed with it that they would and eventually gain salvation. They would experience future glory. Now just kind of wrapping this point up to a certain extent. Being part of God's planning is and should be a motivation for gratitude to say, God, I want to thank you for allowing me to be part of your plan. I don't understand all of it. I, I can't understand how an infinite God would do this. I can't understand why you would save me. I can't understand why I heard the gospel and responded. All that I know is I responded and you saved me. Thank God I am a child of the king. So being part of God's planning should be a motivation for us to have hearts full of thankfulness, of gratefulness, of saying, oh God, I want to thank you. I'll, I'm not sure if I shared this with you before, but Years ago, I was working at a camp, and a young man uh, was, we were by the river, the Susquehanna River, and this young man was trying to swim across, and there were other swimmers that did, but he started to go down. Uh, a man who I was with, was working with, was a strong swimmer, and saw this young man struggling, so he ran out. Uh, to the to the shore, and he went out and swam, and he brought this young man back to the shore uh, safely. And when he got back, I, I still can remember this young man wrapping his arms around our friend Ron and shouting loudly, "You saved me! You saved my life! You saved my life!" And he couldn't. It's like he couldn't stop saying this because. He was so grateful that this man came along and saved him. Now, again, 
It's an illustration, example, experience, I saw. But in our hearts, there ought to be something that is shouting out, thank you, God, for your love for me. You saved me. I don't deserve it. And I'm not saying every single time you pray, but fairly often you should be saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving So the Apostle Paul brings to the attention this wonderful, wonderful plan of God that these Thessalonian believers were part of. I want you to see a second motivation that flows out of this encouragement. First of all, being, or as we look at this, being part of God's planning is the motivation for steadfastness. Verse 15, Therefore, based upon this plan of God, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught whether by word or our epistle. So you saw this expression here, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions. You see, God's divine choice and calling demand responsibility. It's not like, oh, I got, to get, I got a ticket to go to heaven. Uh, it's not that. Because of God's work in the believer, he is to stand firm. The idea is in contrast to chapter 2 and verse 2 where he talks about being shaken in mind. Here's the opposite of standing fast. Do you know some personalities in the Bible who didn't stand fast? Do you know the 12 disciples at a crucial time didn't stand fast but they fled John chapter 6 talks about, after Jesus was speaking about him being the bread of life, many of his disciples, after hearing this discourse, the bread of life discourse, the Bible says many of his disciples walked no longer with him. 2 Timothy warns about those who have their ears tickled and they turn from the truth. We have John Mark who was went on the first missionary trip and then... We don't know exactly why, but he quit the work. People lose heart. And God wants his people to stay firm. Uh, I read this uh, part that kind of helps us understand some of this problem, this danger of going astray. A man by the name of Thomas Constable says, Christians are in constant danger of being swept downstream by the currents of an ungodly culture. They are also prone to let the truths they know and the relationship they enjoy with God to grow cold. They need to vigorously hold to what they have been taught by God's servants. The Thessalonians were in danger of loosening their grip on the apostles' teachings, which they had received in person from the missionaries in their letters they are in danger of slipping backward in their Christian experience because of the pressures of their trials and daily negative influences of the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's an urgency in Paul's tone here that betrays a deep concern of a spiritual father for his children. Now, if you know you're part of God's plan, you're a part of God's eternal plan. If you're saved, you certainly are. God calls you to stand fast, to stand firm. Yes, we're to stand firm because of God's work in the believer. He is to keep a firm grip on the truth of God. Keep a firm grip on the truth of God. Now, there, you'll see a word traditions here. 
and that can kind of throw you off, you don't understand this, but there, there are three ways, at least three main ways in which traditions were used. There were the traditions of the Pharisees, these rabbinic traditions, and they had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them that oftentimes conflicted actually with the scriptures. And they, they were ones that Jesus spoke against oftentimes where they conflicted with the truth of the word of God. Then there are what we call false or heretical traditions, such as these Thessalonians were affected by. And then there was what are called apostolic traditions, or these were the doctrines, these were the truths of Scripture that were supposed to be held to. And there are a number of passages of Scripture that deal with this. I won't time, take the time to read all those. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 8, I'll read this one to you. It says, For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There he talks about being steadfast. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all you do be done with love. We are called upon to firmly grip the truth of God. In other words, be convinced what God says. And if God says it, we should believe it. And then we should practice it. So it's not just believing in our head. It should settle down our heart where it becomes like concrete. It just doesn't change. Years ago, I was counseling to somebody, trying to get them to interact with me, and they, they said to me, finally got a chance to talk, and they said, I really didn't want to come to you, Pastor. This is because I knew what you believed, and I knew you would not change. I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was actually a compliment. Now, hopefully they didn't have the idea of just being stubborn, but they seemed to be pretty congenial about that. But I want to have a reputation of like, I'm going to stand for the truth. If I lose you as my friend, that's going to be sad. I'm not going to, that's not going to be fun. I don't want to lose you as my friend. But if it means losing you as my friend, I will do that for the sake of the truth. And there was a man by the name in church history called Athanasius, way back before my time, probably during the time of John Nuttall's time, way back in 1500s. But uh, he was... He was dealing with the sub. wasn't quite that long ago, was it? Okay. He was dealing with the subject of the deity of Christ, and it was under under serious attack at this particular time. And he took a stand against all his theological peers, and he believed that Jesus Christ indeed was God. He wasn't just, you know, an emanation from God or just some other part of that, he, Jesus Christ was God. Well, this man, Athanasius, had a friend, a colleague said to him, Athanasius, why are you standing this way? The whole world is against you. And Athanasius came out with this profound statement, then I'm against the whole world. Because <laughs> he was convinced this is what God said. Now, hear me, and it may not affect all of you right now, but hear me. 
there is a, a message going across in the evangelical world that there's more than one way of salvation and, and then through Jesus Christ, as long as a person is sincere. I hope you fix your doctrinal belief on John chapter 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Or Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You ought to lock in the truth of God that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Now I could go on with other convictions you should have about the word of God that is eternal, it's precious, and we're not going to allow traditions, human traditions, religious traditions, stop us from the word. We're supposed to take a firm grip on the truth of God, by the way, as parents. You're going to have questions come to you. Why, Mommy? Why, Daddy? Why should I do this? And hopefully you're not going to just say, because Daddy said so, or because Mommy said so. You might have to do that. You have to pull that card out once in a while. But basically, if it's something related directly with the Scripture, you can say something like this. You may not understand right now, but I'm going to give you what God's truth says. What God's truth, God's word says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So obey me. All right? You, you're taking God's truth and you're letting them know and understand. Hopefully in a kind, gracious way to understand what does God say. Well, this is just what we believe. This is just what the church says. This is what the pastor said. Set all that aside and said, this is what God says. And you're teaching your children, your grandchildren you are not going to budge. You're going to stand on the word of God. And people can call you bigot. They can call you stubborn. They can call you whatever they want to. And that's not nice. It's not fun. But you say, I'm answerable to Jesus Christ. And I'm not answerable, really, to people who attack me. So, being part of God's plan should motivate us. It should motivate us. Uh, to, to an attitude of like, I am so glad that God has saved me. I just can't get over that. And it should motivate us to a life of steadfastness, and we're not going to give in. We're not going to quit. If you personally know Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord, you are, by his grace, involved in God's eternal plan. Express gratitude to him. Not once, not twice, but as God gives you life all the time, regularly. And then determine, not in your own strength, but determine with God's help that you will not budge from the truth of God's word. I kind of come back to swing back to this a little bit, touched on this. But the winds of compromise are blowing very, very strongly. The winds of compromise are blowing very strongly to a new generation, generation of young people. The whole concept of marriage relationship, one man with one woman, 
from Death Village Park is being eroded like a tsunami in our culture. There are questionnaires that have gone out to young people in this world about what they believe about marriage and a very significant percentage of young people in this world system have bought into the fact that marriage is no longer needed or marriage can be between two women, two men, and all those kinds of stuff. A large percent of them. Hold your seat. Some of these statistics have been brought out among Christian young people growing up in Bible-living churches, and they also have a relatively frightening amount of young people who think, well, there maybe is a different way of marriage other than what the Bible says. That's only one issue that's confronting us in our culture today. The abortion issue happens to be another one. A lot of accommodations and comment, a lot of compromises have been made this way. I mean, the list is just ad infinitum. It's just so long, it's frightening when the tsunami of this world is coming across and saying, this is what should be. What does the public say? What, what do the majority of people say? Remember this, broad is a way that leads to destruction. Don't get swallowed up with this. I'm going to use that old expression. Any dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live one to swim upstream. And you're going to be swimming upstream against this culture that's not getting better. It's getting worse. If you've been around for any length of time, you say, it's a lot worse now than it was 10 years ago. What's it going to be if the Lord tarries another 10 years? Say, I hope I'm not here. We all feel that way. That's we you know the Lord. And you as a Christian are going to have to some take, take a stand, and it's not going to be a popular stand. And you may even face some adversity from your family members perhaps even from governmental officials. Do I need to say that? Stand firm on the truth, the word of God. Just bring this in. I, I already mentioned before, but the whole erosion of even churches, believers meeting together has now kind of been hit pretty hard where there's believers that think they don't need to get meet together corporately. They can just do it on their own, worship God in the forest or who knows what. Have their own little worship time with themselves. Really? You know what? Their convictions are not based upon God's word. And they've been swept aside by false teaching. And God says, listen, you're part of my plan. You're part of my kingdom now. You have been translated by my son into your kingdom, always be thankful. Take your stand. In a gracious, kind way, stay steadfast for the Lord. Oh, my friend, we've got a lot to be thankful for. We can be encouraged when we look at what God has done for us, what he's doing for us, and what he will continue to do for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for these reminders. I need these reminders as well because uh, there's always a temptation to, uh, to compromise, and I pray that you've helped me to stay true to your word, not just stay true to my opinions or human traditions, but stay true to your scriptures. Please, dear God, help me to set an example in this area, and I pray that each believer here might be encouraged when realizing what you've done for them. Love you. Stay true to you, Lord. Help us all. We need your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.